Good morning. Let me be the first, possibly, to say Merry Christmas. I know I am ready for this time of year. We've had a beautiful celebration of Thanksgiving. I pray that the holiday of Thanksgiving was an incredible time for, for you and your family. These are different times, of course, but our hearts are indeed thankful. And I love that Thanksgiving opens the door to Advent season. In our ministry here, we are lighting a candle with each Sunday of Advent. And today, the candle of hope is lighted. The, the light simply represents a truth that we know. And our eyes and hearts are open to the very real fact that because Jesus Christ has come, we have hope. And so I welcome you into this Advent celebration and I would like to introduce you or reintroduce you to a man in the Old Testament by the name of Micah. Much like you and me, especially these days, Micah needed a perspective of hope. When I look into the short record of prophecy that bears his name, there is one verse among many that truly pronounces the hope of Christmas. Micah chapter 7, verse 7. As for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. This is a phenomenal announcement of hope in Jesus Christ, even in the midst of some of the darkest times. In 1943, a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was held by Nazi captives in a prison cell. Just hours before his execution, he penned these words. A prison cell in which one waits and hopes, does various unessential things to you. But the prison cell and any possible freedom depends upon the door of freedom being open from the outside. And then he concludes, this is not a bad picture of Advent, the door to freedom being opened from the outside. Well, though his death was untimely and came soon thereafter, spiritually and in his soul and in his life, he left this world and he was in the presence of the Lord. And I love this beautiful metaphor that Advent is like the door to our prison being opened from the outside and realizing the freedom that we have and how God has stepped in to change our lives, and to liberate us from all that is wrong in this world. When we read Micah chapter 7, verse 7, we are reading after the fact. We know that Micah's words, like many other verses in his prophecies, foreshadow the coming of Jesus. And we are now living on the other side of that fact, we know that Christ was born and he lived and died and rose again and he's at the right hand of the Father. He indeed is 
creator of the universe. He is savior and Lord. He is king and he rules over all things. We, we know this. But understand that Micah spoke these words on the foreside of the promise. And yet his expectancy of the reality of the coming Messiah seemed to be just as strong as ours is today, knowing that Christ has come. And so in this first Sunday of Advent, where we have lighted the candle of hope, I encourage you to look inside of Micah's statement of hope, for herein we discover some very clear realities of hope that is fulfilled in Jesus. I'd like to join you in looking at four distinct realities that comes to life when we hear Micah's words of prophecy. And, and let me remind you that in this short book of the, of the Old Testament, the, the prophecies of Micah, we're given probably more references to the birth of Christ and to the nature of the coming Messiah than probably any other book in the, in the Old Testament. This is a phenomenal capturing of, of Jesus. And oh, how we in this Advent season need to, need to reach out in our faith and to, and to lean upon that hope that we have in Christ. He has come and he will come again. And so our hope can be definite and sure, for that is indeed the very meaning of hope. Faith rests upon the hope or the confidence we have in the truth of Christ. So allow me to share with you on this day of celebrating hope, uh, four specific realities that come to life through the hope that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The first reality actually is captured in the negative. The first reality has to do with the need of humanity. When, when I look inside of Micah chapter 7, I discover something in the opening verses of this incredible chapter. In chapter 7, Micah begins with the statement, Woe is me. For I am like the fruit pickers and like the gate, uh, grape gatherers, yet there is no cluster of grapes to eat. And then in verse 2 of Micah 7, he uh, defines that metaphor. The godly person has perished from the land. There is no one upright. Micah's statement of hope first acknowledges the reality of the need of humanity. Micah looked around him and realized, much like a gatherer of grapes would enter the, the orchard and realize there's no fruit. Micah looked around him and metaphorically said, there, there are no godly people. Uh, this uh, contextually uh, concerning the history of Israel took place Right at the time of Israel's fall to Assyrian captivity, the Assyrian Empire came and 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 defeated, uh, uh, pillaged, and and literally displaced God's people. And and those who were of the remnant looked around the the once thriving land of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem and saw the devastation. And Micah, with deep lament. And the opening of chapter 7 said, there's no godly. 
There, there is no godly left. No godly person is here. And then from verses 3 and following, Micah will list several uh, significant facts of, of that uh, absence of godliness that became very apparent to him. Uh, I'd like to enumerate these with you so that you can understand the, the culture of darkness and devastation into which Micah spoke a word of hope. But look at the reality of humanity as depicted here. In verse 2, when, when Micah said, uh, there, there's no sign of godliness, then in verse 3, um, Micah wrote, uh, concerning evil, the prince will ask the judge for a bribe, and, and a great man speaks the desires of his soul, and they weave it all together. One sign of this need of humanity from Micah's perspective was the presence of evil leadership. Micah saw clearly that those who were in leadership, particularly over Judah and Jerusalem, were were bent toward wickedness. And so Micah is lamenting that although one should depend upon leadership for security and guidance, Micah writes there, there was at this time no, no godliness even in the leadership. Micah speaks in a day when there were succeeding kings, both good and evil. A, a short picture of this is proven here in history from, from Jotham, good king, to Ahaz, evil king, back to Hezekiah, good king. Over and over again, this vacillation took place. Micah is speaking into the, to the frame of time concerning one of those evil kings. And Micah writes, there's no godliness. I'm, I'm trying to gather godliness around me. There's none to be seen. And then he, he gives the first demonstration of that. There, there are no godly leaders. But then he gives a second demonstration of this absence of godliness as he continues to write in verse 5. There are those who are not trusting their neighbor. So Micah begins in verse 5 to demonstrate that this need of humanity is also revealed in the collapse of some of the communities that were once thriving, as Micah writes, there's no trust between neighbor and neighbor. So leadership is lost. Community, uh, civilly, is lost. And then in verse 6, Micah writes, fathers and sons uh, treat each other with contempt. Daughters rise up. And Micah gives this picture that even within a household, there is friction and there are those demonstrations of ungodliness where even homes that were once strong through faith in Jehovah were now crumbling. This seems like a picture of despair. Evil leaders, loss of civil order, families crumbling. Micah speaks into this an incredible word of hope. Micah writes that there is still a hope. So the first reality reflected in Micah's words certainly depicts this need of humanity. Uh, th this almost looks like the uh, collapse of, of these foundations that once held Israel's culture up and, and strong. It was the psalmist in Psalm 11 verse 3 that wrote re retrospectively, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, that, that question was rhetorical meaning, well, the righteous can still take confidence in God. Well, here in history, according to Micah's human context, the foundations are being destroyed. Israel's national identity is in question. 
Uh, leadership is in question. Uh, civil order is gone. Families are, are crumbling from within. And so the, the need is great. And, and Micah speaks a message of hope. You know, it was documented once that we can live 40 days without food, uh, four days without water, four minutes without air. But then the same article went on to say this, but there is one essential that when removed, one will become desperate in even less time. And that's the essential of hope. Psychologically, emotionally, relationally, when hope is removed, almost as quick as one might feel suffocated, there's a desperation. Because when hope is gone, there's this loss of what is to come or what could be. And there's this helplessness that accompanies the, the hopelessness. Hopelessness says, no one can help. Helplessness says, I can't even help myself. And many in this very moment feel this way. Micah speaks in a message of hope. Do you remember his words? Micah wrote, as for me, I watch expectantly for the Lord. Let's move past the reality of humanity, the need of humanity, and let's move to a second reality. And this is going to seem a bit uh, out of place, but I think you're going to really be encouraged. The second reality I notice has to do with the nations. And more significantly, the rule of the Messiah over the nations and actually over the earth. So the message of hope Micah spoke referenced that he was watching expectantly for the Lord. And then he identified the Lord as salvation. Now the phrase watch expectantly gives the picture of a watchman on the wall. This is derived historically from many days where cities were fortified with a wall and a watchman would be there to either look for encroaching enemies or to look for coming help. Micah sees himself personified as a watchman on the wall for this statement, watch expectantly, is language that references that very posture. Micah is on the wall of, of the life of his people and of his own heart. And he is not looking in desperation. He is looking at the horizon and he is waiting expectantly, meaning he is waiting with unshakable hope for he knows his Lord, his God, his Savior will come. And so the history of Micah's statement and the history of Micah's prophecies point to that which many prophecies demonstrate. In days of old, when prophets would foretell the Messiah, as they were encouraging people to wait for God's anointed to come, uh, the people would be pointed to God's overall sovereignty over all things. So it's as if Micah writes, in harmony with many other prophets of like manner, I am watching and waiting because although things look very bad here, our God has promised to fulfill. His fulfillment is coming. There's no doubt there. So I am waiting because he will most certainly step into our lives. And oh, did he ever, as he stepped in through Christ and has redeemed us. And Christmas is a representation that even in the midst of, of the deepest of the need of humanity, God stepped in. And then Christmas is also a demonstration of God's rule in Christ over the whole earth, over the nations. And so right now, however you may feel discouraged by the events around the globe, 
while you're waiting for God to intervene in your own life. Take hope in the fact that Christ has come. He's coming again. We celebrate in history the first advent. We look forward to the second advent. He's coming again. But because he has come, the babe in the manger, that holy night demonstrated that God has already stepped in. And we can take hope. And as we look around the world, we can see that God is at work. And we can trust that he's intervening in our lives because he is already intervening in the nations. Micah writes, I'm on that wall and I'm expecting because I know God is at work around his creation. And we will wait for him to step into our lives, Micah wrote on behalf of Israel and on behalf of Judah. And Micah writes on our behalf as he demonstrates so carefully how we are called to, to cling to and to trust the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So the second reality is the nations. Right now, Jesus is being proclaimed in the nations around the globe. Can I give you some examples of this? An examination of world Christian trends reveals that there are now more evangelical Christians in Nepal than in Spain. China can now boast as the fastest growing church in the world with an estimated 16,500 new Christians being added every day. Today, there are nearly half a billion Christians who are crossing cultural boundaries with the gospel from the majority of the world. These are amazing facts. These were actually documented in 2010, and the seeds of those facts are continuing to grow. So long before there was a global pandemic, there has always been manifested a global movement of the sovereignty of God manifested through Jesus Christ and the proclaimed gospel. God is at work around the globe more than a pandemic or any other crises. And we can take hope that the nations proclaim that Christ Jesus is Lord. And we as his church can proclaim this for herein lies our deepest hope. Let me give you a third reality that we see captured in Micah's prophetic statement. I like to refer to this as the fulfillment of the law. Now, this is very important to cling to for just a moment because Micah wrote, after saying, I watch expectantly, I wait for the God of my salvation. There's something significant in, in Micah pointing to God as, as our salvation. Uh, theologian and author Boyd Hunt writes, that in biblical monotheism, there's room for God as creator and redeemer. There is one God, and he is both creator, and in Jesus, he is redeemer. And we take hope in the fact that God is savior. Now, when I look back to uh, the beginning of chapter 7, I understand from verse 2 that the godly had perished. There was no upright person. The scripture is always clear that God is calling us to himself and he's a holy God and we can only come by way of righteousness. The law of God, even as Jesus expressed in, in Matthew chapter five, the law of God is, is good. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. 
indicating that Jesus came to do what the law could never do. Because God's people have have always been dependent upon God for, for righteousness, for it never comes from ourselves. And Jesus came and stood in place of of that sacrificial lamb and died on the cross for us as Savior and as Christ and as Lord. And when the, uh, when the angel announced that night and noted in Luke chapter 2 to the shepherds, hey, there, there is one born tonight. He's Savior Christ the Lord. Savior meaning he has come to fulfill the law. Because everyone listening knew that the only way that one could approach God would be through the ceremonial obedience to the law, which was never done perfectly. And and now it has been done perfectly because Jesus has come to be our sacrificial lamb. He has come to save us and to fulfill the law. So in the ministry of Jesus, from his birth forward, every truth he spoke and every step he took and every act that he proclaimed in obedience to God was for the purpose of fulfilling all that the law required. And so now our dependence is upon Jesus who has come as Savior and as Christ, God's anointed one, meaning the only one who can fulfill the law and bring us into a close relationship with God himself. This is more than good news. This is an overwhelming announcement that we have the fulfillment of Christ in our lives, bringing us to God as our Savior, as Christ, as Lord. What an incredible reality. When Micah announced, I'm waiting for the God of my salvation, Micah knew expectantly that God would send the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, who would bring his own people redemptively back to himself. That's hope. And today, if you're struggling with the the old uh, trick from the enemy, from Satan himself, you're not good enough. If you're struggling with this, if you're attempting to do good religious things, hoping to appease God, and, and sometimes at, at Christmas, we, we tend to feel more benevolent. We tend to feel more commitment to faith. And if you are attempting acts of faith, either seasonally or in some other way regularly, please understand we would never be good enough. We need not try to appease religious requirements because that's impossible. We depend upon God through Jesus to save us from our sins. And when we trust Jesus, who is Christ the Lord, then we are, we are at one and at peace with God. And that is, that is the testimony of Christmas. That is the announcement of the babe in the manger. That is the message of the hope that is announced. I give you one final reality. Uh, This is the reality of Jesus, our high priest. Uh, That term may throw some because maybe you are still ecumenically attached to that phrase belonging to man, but that phrase no longer belongs to man. It only belongs to Jesus. Because Micah wrote, I wait for the God of my salvation, and hear the last statement, my God will hear me. This is exciting. Micah writes in, in the deepest of gloom, my God, will hear the cry of his people through his Messiah and will repair and restore all that is broken. And so what an incredible announcement Micah made, foreshadowing the Messiah to come and to be our high priest. When Micah writes, our God will hear us. Jesus will bring us perfectly to God. This is such an incredible announcement. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20 announces, Jesus has entered 
is our high priest. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this, beginning with verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firm to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive grace, mercy, and find help in our time of of need. Oh, this is why Isaiah announced Emmanuel, God with us, has come. This is why Matthew one twenty three made that same proclamation, God with us. Christ has come to bring us into a perfect relationship of peace with God. I was asked recently how these present circumstances are affecting me, and I just simply said I'm at peace. Many of you can say the same, but perhaps many cannot. And the peace does not come from something I have concluded or have discerned or figured out on my own. Peace comes from the fact that God has this. He's brought us to himself through Jesus, and we can have perfect peace as we depend upon and completely trust in Jesus Christ. So that final reality that's proven in Micah's words is so important. Jesus, our high priest, he's come to take care of everything to bring us to God. This is the announcement of Christmas. Christmas proclaims that Christ has come and has done everything necessary to bring us into peace with God. As we close, I'd like to show you how, believe it or not, our culture presently actually gets this truth to a large degree. Now, I know when you look around, there may be indicators of the opposite, but but I want you to notice some statistics that were formed in 2015 from Pew Research. These are four very significant facts about what we believe as a, as a culture concerning Christmas. About nine in 10 Americans celebrate Christmas. So regardless of faith origin, 92%, nine out of 10 Americans celebrate Christmas, the birth of Christ. A second fact, surprisingly, a big majority of non-Christians in the U.S. celebrate Christmas. 81% of non-Christians celebrate Christmas. This includes a large percentage of American Buddhists and Hindus. Right now in this nation, a large percentage of non-Christians celebrate the birth of Christ. Third fact, among Americans overall, 51% say they celebrate Christmas as more of a religious holiday than simply a cultural holiday. This is significant. Well over half the people, Christians and non-Christians alike, who celebrate Christmas say they realize there's something here about faith and not just about culture. And then a final fact. Americans largely believe in the traditional story of the Christmas birth, including the virgin birth. 73% of people who say they celebrate Christmas say they believe Jesus was born of a virgin. 73%. Now look at these facts and I realize as a culture, at least in our thoughts, we get it. We get it that Christ has come and what the scriptures have declared for Millennial is, is true. Jesus has come as God in the flesh. 
Statistics have proven that we as a culture, by and large, get this. The problem is, we do not keep this. And there's a big difference. You've likely heard me or someone else say this before. The difference between getting it and keeping it is about 12 inches from the, from the mind to the heart or to the soul, to the spirit, where we are born again through the gospel truth of Jesus and his forgiveness and, and restoration. And, and we as a culture understand the Christmas story and the facts thereof. But it seems as if a lot of what we believe in is only seasonal. Well, let me say today more than ever, you need more than a seasonal hope. You need more than a reprieve called the Christmas Advent or the Christmas holidays. You need a hope that will put you on that wall like Micah, where you look expectantly to your God in Christ, who although humanity's needs are real, God is at work in Jesus around the globe, and and you know that Jesus has come to fulfill all requirements of the law so that it's not on your good works, it's on your faith in Christ. And Jesus has become our high priest, bringing us to God. This is our hope. Micah proclaimed this centuries ago. His truth is real right now. So this morning, if you're like Micah and you're absent of hope, I ask you to lean in. In fact, I'd like to pray with you. And I'd like to invite you to pray if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to receive him by faith. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth he is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved from our sin. You can pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I know you died on the cross for my sins and I repent of my sins and I turn to you. I give my life to you. You'll never be the same if you trust him. Your marriage, your home, your job, your career, never be the same when you hand it all over to Jesus and trust him. For he is our only hope, both now and always. So let's not depend on a seasonal hope. Let's truly grasp the only hope we have, Jesus Christ. I'd like to pray with you. Father God, thank you for hearing our prayer, for walking with us. Thank you for the message you gave Micah many, many thousands of years ago that still rings so powerful in our lives today. May we be people of hope. And may we look to Jesus, our only source of hope. We've lighted the Advent candle of hope. And as we venture deeper into this Advent season, may we celebrate the fact, the simple but powerful fact, Jesus Christ is born. Father, thank you for this time of celebration. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you a lot, faith community, friends. Glad you're here. Let's get excited about this Advent season. I look forward to seeing you on week two of Advent next Sunday. Until then, God bless.